0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. True Detective is back, and the Ringers Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion are our guides as we navigate the twisting pathways of season three's plots, themes, and characters on the Flat Circle, a True Detective after show. Follow Jason and Chris as they chase down leads, explore each episode's cultural context, and discuss true crime cases that mirror the ones in the show. Join the guys live every Sunday night after True Detective on the Ringers' YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook pages.
1: Welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. This is The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland. Kevin! What's up, Berno?
0: How you doing after last
1: night? (laughs) been better. (laughs) We will get to that uh, in a little bit, but we have a ton of stuff to talk about, including everything that happens within the context of these different teams could possibly affect an upcoming trade deadline uh, which we are now just about 3 weeks away from not the least of which is a team that seemingly every week we go have the Celtics gotten it together or what's yes, wrong no, with yes, the Celtics
0: no, yes, no it goes back and I mean forth. they were going
1: <laughs> everybody expected them to be one of the premier teams in the NBA they were expected to win a boatload of games And there they are last night getting run out by the Brooklyn Nets. This is after they had gotten beaten by the Orlando Magic. And so they get run out by the Nets. They lose that game. D'Angelo Russell goes supernova against them. And then we are now in the mode of the comments after the game. And over the weekend, it was Kyrie Irving. And then last night... It was Jalen Brown who made the headlines. We'll let everybody hear what he had to say after the game last night. We just got to have each other's back
0: at the end of the day. We can't make comments. We can't point fingers. Uh, we just got to continue to empower each other and have each other's back. If we, if we don't, we point start, point fingers. Everybody's going to go into their own little shell. We got to continue to to play basketball. It starts from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. So we got to continue to empower each other and uh, and, and make the best of this. We got we got a lot of talent, and um, we know what we're capable of doing. We just got a matter of going out and doing it, playing free,
1: playing loose, having fun. So I think everybody correctly surmised that this was in contrast to what Kyrie Irving had said and been doing because it seemed like he was blaming the young guys on the roster. Jalen Brown comes out last night, and he says, It's got to start from the top to the bottom, and we've got to empower each other rather than pointing fingers at each other. And so this seemed like a, you know, like I said, in direct contrast to what Kyrie has been saying, what is going on?
0: It's been so weird all season long, Chris, hasn't it? Where it seems like every single time things have been fixed for Boston. I mean, when, when, when me, Danny Chow, and Jonathan Charks recorded last week's Corner 3 on Thursday, that was a moment where... Seems like things were good. Then they lost on Thursday night. They are sliding again. And Kyrie had those really odd comments about how the young guys just don't understand, you know, what it takes to win the finals. And look, man, I don't think it's the right approach to go to the media with that. Like, you can have those conversations privately. There's nothing to gain from going publicly. So it just seems like the issues are the same now that they were when we first chatted about this back in October and November, that right now there's just guys who are stepping outside of their roles. You have Jalen Brown, who was outstanding in the playoffs last year. Who you know is a young player who wants to keep getting better. You have Terry Rozier, who wants to get paid 19 or 20 million dollars this coming off season when he's a restricted free agent. Gordon and Hayward is still not the same old Gordon Hayward we saw pre-injury. This team just has a number of issues, whether it's chemistry, whether it's Hayward just not being himself and still receiving 25 to 30 minutes per game. I don't know, man. Uh, The mix just is very odd, and I wonder if, obviously, the ultimate goal, Chris, is to trade for Anthony Davis this summer, but I wonder if there's any minor tweaks that they can make this season before the deadline to actually maximize their chances for this particular season.
1: You know what it makes me think about is the old... And this is the leader of the ringer, Bill Simmons, in his book of basketball. The major context is the secret of basketball is that it's not about basketball. And yes, yeah. there's this story in there where Isaiah Thomas is saying that maybe Adrian Dantley was a better player than Mark Aguire, but Aguire was a better fit for the team. And we wouldn't have won if it wasn't for that. And so what you've got to see is yes, there can be players on teams and teams loaded with talent, but. That's not why they win. It's because they ignore statistics. They know their role within the team and and that they value winning over sure. everything else. And yep. so it's not just throwing together a combination of awesome players. And for whatever reason, something is off with yeah. this combination of awesome players.
0: For sure. Yeah. I think, I think that that's a great example to give, right? Where oftentimes you can have a lot of talent, but it doesn't make a difference if guys aren't accepting your, their roles. This, this happens a lot, especially after a team wins a championship or makes a long playoff run like Boston did last year. And then guys, you know, they start thinking that they can do more than they actually should be doing within their roles. But I think on the other side of this, Chris is, have to also give Brooklyn some credit for last night's game. They've they've been playing really hard as well. And Kenny Atkinson went to the zone. He he threw it like a curveball in the first and second quarter. And then he went to it heavy in the third quarter. And that really just messed up Boston's offense, their their flow in that third quarter before they they surged in the fourth to try to make a comeback late in the game. But The Nets are a tough team. They've been playing tough basketball, and Boston didn't have Kyrie Irving or Marcus Smart. But that doesn't change the fact that, as we're talking about here, Boston has some underlying issues that just don't seem to go away. And anytime it seems like they're gone, they just come right back. And looking at the team, I'm not sure what solves that. I thought one of the smart things Kyrie said recently was after Game 70, these problems just solve themselves. Guys put away their ego all in the name of pursuing a championship. But I'm, I'm not sure that's a guarantee.
1: Let me ask you, uh, well, first things first, when you just mentioned the zone defense, I do want to touch on this because we haven't talked about this much on the podcast, but in terms of watching games on a regular basis, and if you're flipping through league pass, this is something that teams have implemented to great success over and over again this year. I feel like it is happening a lot more this year than it has in the past. And I think it is because you have so many of these teams that are very dependent on a pick-and-roll offense. There's so many awesome point guards. There's so many awesome point guards at running the pick-and-roll. And And so now they run this pick-and-roll. They've got the decision to kick it over to the corner, or they drive to the basket, or they pick-and-pop, or the obvious pick-and-roll play. And when these teams fall back into the zone, that's why it ends up making these offenses look so tremendously disjointed because so many of them are predicated upon this individual talent, maybe this one guy that is making choices on a regular basis. And when you take that out of the mix and you make people run it, it's interesting you mentioned that too, the night after Syracuse goes and pulls this just, absurd upset against Duke and they've done it obviously over and over again and I wonder too you know what got me thinking last night if that is you've seen Syracuse in the NCAA tournament pull off these remember when they knocked off Michigan State that they had no business knocking off you've seen them knock off teams over the years and in the past where you watch the team and you're like Jesus that team just never seen a zone before and I wonder if because You know, obviously, sometimes it trickles down to college. You've got more teams playing dribble drive slash isolation slash pick and roll. That zone defense weirdly has become even more devastating when it's played correctly. Because now I see it in the NBA on a regular basis. And you see these teams look like they've never played basketball in their life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I wrote an article ahead of
0: the the postseason last year. The headline for that, if anybody wants to read it, was want to shock an elite NBA team? How about a dash of zone defense? And mm-hmm. basically it was about it was about how early last season the Brooklyn Nets used zone against the Houston Rockets. And it was really effective in taking Houston out of their pick and roll. Houston still got buckets like they always do, but it just changed the way they played because they weren't running as much pick and roll. And we've seen a team like Dallas, um, especially when Dwayne Casey was their defensive coordinator, they use zone effectively. It was like, the example I used in there was like, it's like in baseball. Like if you're a fastball pitcher, sometimes you're going to throw in a, a breaking ball to keep the hitter off balance. So I think that's where we're seeing teams like Brooklyn and Miami, especially those two use zone quite frequently this year. And you mentioned how it happens more across the league. It's mostly those two but last season according to synergy there was 718 possessions of zone defense over the full season for all the teams this year already it's at 1176. so teams wow. are using zone more already and we're only about
1: halfway through the season and that's look at you be ba- the- look at you backing it up with numbers I just it feels like, you know, I just watched a game against the Heat. I watched a game against the Rockets last night. Well, I and- mean, it's
0: it's funny, though, because like I looked it up because last night
1: I, I pitched an article
0: about Zone. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I pulled up these numbers this morning like before we were recording. I was like, whoa. So it's funny um, that, that you've observed that as well, Chris. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think anybody that watches NBA basketball nightly and is flipping around on league pass. There's just so many times where you see these offenses get out of whack, and it's because a team just dropped into a zone for maybe like yeah. a five, six-minute stretch. And these teams like look it. so disjointed, and the offense just looks so bad. Even a team as good as the Celtics last night.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're not yeah.
1: They're not practicing that on a regular yeah. basis, right? They're not practicing zone offense. Exactly,
0: and, and that's the whole point. The first possession last night that Brooklyn went to the zone, I believe it was after a timeout, if I remember correctly, and they either forced a turnover or, or a 24-second violation, and this is coming after a timeout where Boston probably called a design play, and Brooklyn's like, you know what? We're going to go zone, right? Yep. I, oh, yeah, it was 30 seconds of the game when Boston called that early timeout. That's when it was, and they came out went zone for just one possession. In that first quarter, and Boston turned the ball over. Um, it was like a near twenty-four second violation, and that's the point. It, it's, you're not going to go zone full the full game. It's about it's a change of pace and trying to surprise an
1: offense. All right, let me ask you two more questions on this real quickly. First, Brooklyn was relentless last night with their crowd chance. The biggest oh, one yeah. by a wide margin was when they were up by I believe twenty-five or twenty-six, <laughs> and they. Ferociously, were chanting Kyrie's leaving. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, it was loud. You you could yeah. audibly hear it if you were watching that game. Like that was one of those. Iron Eagle is like doing the the read, and it was of no consequence because you're just trying to <laughs> right. Like it's just drowned out by Kyrie's leaving, and obviously they're attempting to get under the skin of the Boston Celtics. That being said, I did. Mm-hmm. Like, as it's happening, I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, is he? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I would still bet on Kyrie staying. I haven't changed, you know, from that stance at all. But it's like we've talked about earlier in the season, Chris. There's always a chance. There's certainly a chance that New York comes calling, or the Brooklyn Nets, even for that matter, come calling for Kyrie. And, you know, he decides to go move closer to home. Well, I told you this, Kev.
1: A couple of weeks ago, I was at a Celtics game and something that I'd never seen in my life took place. And that was as the teams were all running out to the court to warm up at halftime in a tunnel that I was walking through were Danny Ainge and Kyrie Irving having a one-on-one at halftime. And I remember thinking like, this is bizarre. I have never seen a player and a general manager have an off-to-the-side conversation in the middle of a game. And that was the first like, I just remember thinking it was bizarre at the time. So obviously, listen, he's been, he's been upset throughout the Mm -hmm.
0: year. As I'm sure Bill Simmons will say at some point on his podcast this week, Kyrie Irving was not at Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Cavaliers last year, and Boston said it was because he had deviated septum surgery. Seems like a pretty good day to schedule surgery for your deviated septum. I I had deviated septum surgery years ago, and I wouldn't have scheduled it on Game 7 of a conference finals for any team, never mind a team that I'm (laughs) playing for. I don't know, man. You know, Look, if I were a player on that team, I'd be like, how are you not going to be there, man? You're the team leader. And right. You're not going to be there. I mean, like, we can't look back to something that happened in May and turn into something that it's not. But it's interesting nonetheless.
1: Okay, let me ask you about the team on the flip side, because you did, rightfully so, give the praise to the Brooklyn Nets. And they are now one game under 500. D'Angelo Russell like I said, went supernova last night. He's now averaging a tick under 19 points a game in a little less than 30 minutes a game. So he's not, you know, typically a young guy like that is playing an extreme amount of minutes. They have a ton of guys on that team that have averaged over 20 minutes. I mean, a ton. Russell, Levert, I know he's been out. Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Damari Carroll, Rondae Hollis-Jefferson, Alan Crabb, and then this, is it Couric's? Is that the way I say it? It's Kroots. The kid Is that correct, Isaac? Yeah, I believe it's Kurtz. Yeah, Kroots. And then you've got Ed Davis, <laughs> you've got Jared Dudley. I mean, you just have a million guys on this team that are all playing minutes mm. on a nightly basis. Russell might make the all-star team. Yeah, I i don't know,
0: man. I don't know if he's going to make the all-star team.
1: You don't think but, so? I mean,
0: I know the Eastern Conference is pretty weak, but I, I still don't think he's going to make the all-star team, no.
1: Maybe not. I mean, he's got a chance mm, just uh, because of the conference. I mean, you look up and down. Obviously, listen, you're penciling in. I'm sure Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler will inevitably both be there. You think Lowry makes it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Boy. Maybe. What, what a. Oh, How are we still choosing Irving? players
0: out of conferences? Right? I mean, I come know. on. Like, there's going to be some good players in the West that aren't going to make it just because of the silly rules. Huh. I gotcha. Well, the, the, listen, yeah. the
1: point I'm making, whether or not he yeah, makes I an all star team or not. I, I know. I'm just has... bothered. I'm just bothered by the fact that
0: someone's going to make an all star game just because they're in the Eastern Conference. There's going to be at least one guy just because they're in the East. I think that's for true. a game that's for the fans and that should have the best players and the funnest players in the game. Someone's going to make it just because they're in the East. That's the well, way.
1: I don't think that that necessarily applies to Russell because every time I watch him, he has been fun to watch this year. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> you Russell, know what I mean? Like Russell's a fun and, and player. And that team, that team is better than what we thought they would be. Don't you think?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think I thought they'd be like around five hundred. What are they now? The 22, uh, yeah, they're, twenty two, twenty twenty three. They're, they're right mean, under five hundred. Yeah, I mean, I think in the East they were a borderline playoff team, and they're about yep. where they are. I, I think you know. Then in a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe I don't know. Time goes by so quickly. Maybe it was a couple of months ago, but I think a lot of these teams, Chris, are pretty much where we expected, except for a handful of
1: them. Yeah, they get LeVert back. They could be a fun playoff team. Oh yeah, no, they I kind of be wish married. they would make yeah. it. I kind of wish they would make it just because it's the young team that will probably take their lumps in the playoffs, but yeah. they're dangerous. Yeah,
0: I, I, th- I think they are going to make the playoffs, especially, I mean, hopefully Levert comes back for them uh, before the postseason. And, you know, look at their roster. Rodion's Kuroch, Jonathan Charks wrote a great article last week about him on the ringer. He's been great. Second round pick, 40th pick in the draft, only 20 years old. Six foot nine, six ten forward who's versatile, who can shoot, who can make plays off the dribble. They have a lot of nice talent on that Nets team and a coach in Kenny Atkinson that the players believe in. And they got cap space coming up this summer with their own draft picks. Finally, now that that Celtics Nets trade is over and done with, they're in an interesting spot, man. They're an appealing team to me moving
1: forward. All right, let me ask you about a couple other things that took place last night, one of which. Was uh, the Sacramento Kings who kept on trucking along? They end up beating the Portland Trailblazers last night. They are now twenty three and twenty one, two games over five hundred. And there was the story that came out from Sam Amick about Vlade Divac wanting to put the vote of confidence in Dave Yeager and his staff and to you know, extend these guys and to, you know, commit to the coaching staff that has done things. And I know some people were saying, well, good. They have overachieved much more than people expected. them. those guys have done a good job. I know a very large portion of that staff, obviously because they were all in Memphis. There was another part that I thought as I saw that story come out, which was Dave Yeager has coveted that Timberwolves job. Yeah. Forever. Forever. He, he almost publicly hinted at it. Right. Well, listen, the, how about yeah. this? I don't know if people remember this. He was a winning coach with the Grizzlies. And after the management team got flipped over that summer, he went and interviewed for the Minnesota Timberwolves job while currently the coach of the Grizzlies. I mean, he wanted that job. And the Grizzlies weirdly said at the time, that's the only job we would allow him to interview for because basically it's his dream job. And we wouldn't want to have a coach that doesn't want to be here and would rather be somewhere else. It was all strange when it happened, but obviously I can't get that out of my head. And I wondered if Vladi Divak, I wonder if this, you know, life is leverage and if that Sacramento staff got re-upped, though it looked extremely dicey for them just three weeks ago because that Minnesota job came open and Minnesota, I would think, would look right towards A guy that, you know, covets the job and wants to come home.
0: For sure. I had reported before that the Timberwolves are going to ride out the season with Ryan Saunders. See how that goes. He might be their coach of the future, depending on how the next couple months go with him. But if things don't go so well, Dave Yeager should absolutely be near the top of that list for them.
1: Yeah, and they have certainly exceeded all expectation and have kept on rolling. The team that has gotten rolling has been the Jazz led by Donovan Mitchell, who won Western Conference Player of the Week. And then you have a game like last night, where Rudy Gobert is the most dominant force going. I mean, he's 18 points, 25 rebounds last night. 18 and 25 yeah, for Gobert last night. So, at the very beginning of the season, especially coming off of last season, we thought that the Jazz were for sure going to be a home court advantage team. Who knows where they will end up at the end, but at least it's looking more like the team that we thought that it was going to be, and certainly Mitchell, who has had a little bit of a second year struggle, he's gotten cracking over the course of the last week.
0: He's killing it, man. He's been absolutely outstanding this month, averaging 27 points a game, high efficiency, shooting the lights out, and it's aligned with Ricky Rubio being out. For Utah. So Mitchell has played a lot more point guard um, this month, more so than he did prior to Rubio's absence. And that has helped him, I think, putting the ball in his hands. It could also just be a hot streak, right? A little yep. bit of regression to the mean where he he started out with that slump and now he's returning to the same efficiency numbers that he did, did last season. That's why it's hard to read in too much to what's happening early in the season. But nonetheless, just these past couple of weeks, Mitchell is right back. On track to looking like and resembling that potential superstar player that we saw all of last season into the playoffs. Still has some work to do as a scorer. Still has his inefficient
1: nights, but that dude's dynamite. Another thing that took place last night was the Tony Parker emotional return to Mm -hmm. San Antonio where they gave him the roar that he deserved Last night, it, it's still strange that he's not in a San Antonio uniform, but I found it very interesting, Kevin, that this was in complete contrast to what took place with the Kawhi game, right? <laughs> they were out for blood in that game and then they ran all over the Raptors. And then last night, you've got the video tribute and the homecoming for Tony Parker and they take a 15 point loss to the Hornets. I don't know, maybe they were maybe they were it's all still in their feelings when the game was going on. Yeah. And
0: uh Kemba Walker, he's somebody who, unlike Donovan Mitchell, has slumped as of late after his just ferocious start yep. early in the season this past month or so. His numbers have really returned to earth, except for the last two games against like Sacramento and then last night against San Antonio. Scored 33 points last night on zero free throws, which will make you happy, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, zero free throws, 32 hey, points. Wow. What a, what speaking, a player.
1: Uh, <laughs> speaking of free throws, yeah. <laughs> only 18 for James Harden last night. Oh, uh, only
0: 18, yeah, yeah. You know how many points he scored without the free throws? 40.
1: It will- <laughs> He had 57. <laughs> last. Yeah. I mean, listen, as yeah. I have said many times, he is totally unstoppable. Yeah. I have never taken away from his amazing talent. Oh, yeah. I've also told you, as someone who, listen, and just so I can explain to everybody, the 2014 <laughs> San Antonio Spurs is the most beautiful basketball I've ever watched in my life. They were the source of what I feel like is one of the best basketball articles ever written. And it's uh, anybody can look this up. It's just type in uh, Jackie McMullen Summertime. And it's about the 2014 Spurs. It's about losing to Ray Allen and that dagger and being so close to the title. And then their mission the next season and how they took training camp, where they took it, and what they installed to be able to become this absolute juggernaut that destroyed LeBron and Wade and Bosch. In that second finals. And so as someone who loves that style of basketball and the ball popping around and teammates making everybody better, I just don't enjoy watching a one player pound the ball into the ground for 20 seconds and then make a step back three or get fouled or go to the basket. Like I mean, I like I like basketball because it is the greatest of team sports, in my opinion. And can look like a symphony at times. And I just don't, I don't like isolation one-on-one basketball. But I do not deny it is best for them. And they have had amazing success doing it. And he is he is one of the greatest offensive talents I've ever seen in my life. He is totally and completely unstoppable right now. So let me get that out of the way. That being <laughs> said, we do need to talk about them. They had an easy go with the Grizzlies <laughs> last night. Yeah. The Capella injury is monstrous for them. While it was not the Grizzlies, as I said, they didn't make it hard on them. They could be without Gordon, Paul, and Capella and still beat the Grizzlies last night. What do you think happens over the course of the next four to six weeks, though, when they are inevitably without Capella with this broken thumb?
0: Well, I mean, I think we saw hints of it last night and we've seen hints of it over the last couple seasons. When Capella's off the floor, typically... James Harden tallies more points and fewer assists. He shoots more because there's not a lob target just rumbling down the lane, which Clint Capella is. He's fantastic. Capella's gotten better at passing out of the short roll as well, never mind his finishing at the rim. So there's even more of a demand on James Harden to score like it was last night with the amount of shots that he took, the amount of free throws that he took There's just nothing else for them without Chris Paul, without Eric Gordon, and now without Clint Capella for that matter. What I'm interested in seeing is how this develops for them on the defensive end of the floor, because one of their biggest issues earlier in the season, Chris was how teams would force a switch and bring Capella away from the perimeter. And they were just offensive rebounding relentlessly against Houston's smaller wings and forwards, Capella wasn't there for rim protection, so teams were getting to the rim more easily. And now, Capella's just not there. Um, And Houston doesn't have a lot of depth. You're relying on guys like Marquise Chris, even, for a short stint in last night's game um, until he was pulled. You're relying more on P.J. Tucker. There's a greater demand on him. You're relying on guys like Isaiah Hartenstein. Relying on Gary Clark. Relying more on James Ennis. How does this, over the course of time, hurt Houston on defense when Nene's your starting center? That's where I think Houston, against better teams and more potent offensive teams, are going to get exposed. Harden's still going to get buckets no matter who's on the floor, and that's going to cause fatigue for him. But it's their defense that I would be especially concerned about without Clint Capella.
1: Yeah, and this was on a second night of a back to back after you just knew he was going to explode after the headlines everywhere from the prior oh, day yeah. were the Rockets blow it and he goes one for 17 from three. I mean, you just no knew doubt. the next game it was going to be man on fire. And in fact, it was.
0: No doubt. And like the other side of it is obviously, like you've mentioned how aesthetically like you just don't like the style of basketball right and I do I mean I I like watching James Harden's style but the one thing that I've written about in the past in context with Russell Westbrook I, I think I had a, a 2016 or 2017 article when Russell Westbrook was having that triple double season and you look historically at, at players that have posted a usage percentage over 35 and right now Harden is at 39.9 and it's way higher than that over this past month those teams typically don't go far in the playoffs because you can't you can't play winning basketball in the playoffs relying solely on one player it just doesn't work whether it's The AI Sixers in 2000 or Kobe Bryant or even, you know, Michael Jordan's on that list. Even like you need other players. So right now the Rockets are getting what they need from James Harden in order to stay afloat. But this isn't going to work for them in the playoffs. And it might not even get them a higher seed. Like they really, really need Chris Paul to get back, which might not happen for another two, three weeks. I've heard.
1: Yeah. And to your point. I feel like Westbrook got killed a lot more for being the one-man show on Oklahoma City, and maybe it was a function of being a little less, you know, I mean, obviously, it was a little less efficient. Not a little, way less
0: efficient, and that that was the difference, in my opinion. I mean, right now, Harden's posting a, a true shooting percentage of 62. That Westbrook season was 55.4, which is not good. Harden is not only a high volume guy, but he's a high efficiency player. If, you know, if you look at all the players of that I just mentioned that have posted a usage over 35, Harden's number one and number two in efficiency with his season last year and then this year. He's number one and number two of everybody else, and nobody else is even close. Bernard King, the next closest guy, was 58.5. Dwayne Wade, 57.4. Tracy McGrady, 56.4. That's for true shooting percentage. Harden,
1: he's on another level. Well, and the, what skews that is, and I don't want to say skews as a negative term. What skews it is Westbrook's not a good free throw shooter, and Harden is. Well,
0: Westbrook was that season. He shot 84. Oh, he did? Yeah, Westbrook was at 84.5% from the free throw line that triple double season. It's the three point shooting, really, and the frequency of
1: free throws. This is this is what I'm saying. I listened to House and, and Simmons last week, and they were talking about. They were obviously mocking the triple double season of Russell Westbrook, and, and Bill said in passing, he was like, "What's more impressive to me is the twenty seven seven and seven. That almost should be called the LeBron." And I was mm-hmm. thinking to myself, like Westbrook averaged over that. By a wide margin,
0: I was, to, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, like what he did have 27, a twenty-seven, seven, and seven. He <laughs> averaged
1: 30, 11 and ten. Like it's more impressive yeah. to average less. I don't. Uh, <laughs> i particularly to me, sure.
0: To me, it's the efficiency. That's what you have to look at, in my opinion. The efficiency always matters more than anything else.
1: Here's how you know that maybe it wouldn't have all worked together in Oklahoma City like everybody thinks it was. Because you see, right? You see Durant in in Golden State. You see Harden in in Houston, and you see Westbrook in <laughs> <laughs> in Oklahoma City. And it's like, can you imagine these guys all functioning as you know a team and everybody getting theirs at the same time? We were talking about the whole. You can't just necessarily assemble a bunch of talent. Maybe it would have all worked, and they could have all fallen into their roles. Oh boy. But, it's funny now to watch and they're like the highest usage guys ever, at least two of them. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's better <laughs> on those uh, teams. It, it's still hard to believe that those three guys played on the same team at one point. Insanity. That, it's so we, Like that's gonna be a fascinating story when all these guys' careers are over. Like the big story about those guys playing together and then going their own ways um in the path that they ended up taking. And Katie, you know, these guys' stories aren't complete either. Westbrook turned 30 this year, and I think KD did as well. Harden is, uh, I think, 28 or 29 years old. These guys aren't done yet. A lot of time left for them to still continue writing their stories.
1: All right, on the flip side of that was a bludgeoning taken by the Grizzlies, and then you and I fought a little bit on Twitter about yeah. the whole blow it up. There are teams that are either going to bolster themselves or decide to go the opposite direction and just lose a lot of games the rest of the year. And we will talk about the trade rumors and those particular teams right after these words. Today's Ringer NBA show brought to you by Captera. It's 2019. Are you still doing things the old way at work? Start off the year right by replacing the software that causes you angst and agony every day and find software that fits your business's needs using Captera.com. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users, it has everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. I've got a bunch of friends that own small businesses, and they have found that they can go to Captera on a regular basis and find literally anything they need. The best thing is there is no cost. Visit Captera.com/NBA for free today. To find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Captera.com slash NBA. Captera that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash N B A. Today's show also brought to you by Microsoft Surface. The new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done, whether you're on the field running a business take brian arakpo and michael griffin two former nfl teammates who have opened a cupcake shop with the surface pro they can do everything they need from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors plus it's light super fast and has a great battery life brian and michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the new surface pro 6 All right, Kevin. So, on the other side of James Harden's 57 points were the Grizzlies, who I follow. uh, Oh, boy. Who lost another game, and things have gone exceedingly horrible for them. They are now five games under 500 after starting the season 12 and five and like gangbusters. They've also had a million guys get hurt. Dylan Brooks out for the season. Kyle Anderson got hurt. Chandler Parsons is in Los Angeles. You had a botched trade. It's just all gone (laughs) horribly wrong. But you brought up the idea of getting rid of guys. Uh, Mark Stein. Mark reported. Stein did. Yes. Exactly yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. what Mark Stein
1: did. I just was like, too late. <laughs> yeah, right. The idea about moving Mark Gasol rather hmm. than have him opt in in the offseason or possibly losing him for nothing. I just don't think you can get anything for Mark Gasol. I think you could yeah, get I, something like great I agree. for Mike Conley, you couldn't for Mark Gasol. And so what's yeah. the point? Like, are you just doing it to do it?
0: I'm right there with you, Chris. We're on the same exact page. That, that's oh, you why you can't get anything? Him. Yeah, you're not going to get anything from Mark Gasol. He, he turns 34 years old okay. uh, later this month. He had major foot surgery a couple years ago, and granted, he got off to a fast start this season. He's not been that good at all maybe the past month or and a
1: half or so. What are you going to get? He turned his ankle and has not been the same since. And he plays thirty-eight minutes a night. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I I don't want to get into right.
0: Yeah. Never mind the difficulty in finding a trade that works for him. He makes twenty-four point one million dollars this season. So it's hard right. to find a team that can take on that salary that would give up the necessary salaries well, in order to make it work. It's just really hard to find a deal. for Well, and Marcus the other Soul. thing
1: is conveying a Celtics pick, which is anything outside of the top eight. At best, you won so many games early. You would probably have like the sixth worst record. I mean, at best, you know what I mean. Yeah. And so six, then what? Six. Now
0: yeah. Right, right now, just for context, they yeah. are they are 19 and 24. Washington is in that sixth spot at 18 and 26. So Memphis is separated by a game and a half. You're not you're not catching Atlanta at five.
1: No, you're super playing with fire at, at that point because then what? You know what I mean? Like it's almost like too late. To just lose all the time yes. so that you can get a high draft pick. because your draft gonna... stinks, too. Yeah, right. So it's certainly not worth it. But a lot of teams have these choices to make. And I want to ask you about Nikola Vucevic. All right? Because Beach. he is having the contract year of all contract years. Will probably make the all-star team. And I was reading an article on... Unbelievably, the The ringer.com. DJ Foster. Yeah, DJ Foster wrote an article recently about Vucevic being a trade deadline difference maker. And one of the quotes that he had in there was that Vucevic obviously is still a little bit in the way of Mo Bamba and maybe more front court minutes for Jonathan Isaac, and that the Magic are just a half a game back from eighth place in the Eastern Conference but they would be better off long-term if they tank and land a top pick rather than somehow stumbling into a first-round sweep. Now, obviously, philosophically, I disagree with this.
0: And also... I, you know, I've said this on, I think, corner three and a couple of times from what I've heard is Vucevic right now with Orlando. They still want to make the playoffs. They want right. They entered the season wanting to make the playoffs. And I'm not sure anything has changed. So, yes, you might be able to give Bamba more minutes, but I think the magic are perfectly happy easing Bamba into things instead of just force feeding him minutes and giving him too much opportunity, putting too much on his plate, just easing him in. He's only 20 years old. And with Jonathan Isaac, he's lost weight this year already from what he entered the year with. I'm not sure how much you can really put him in the front court more so than you already do. Uh, Only plays 25 minutes per game. I don't know if he can survive playing 35 minutes, if if that's what you're aiming for.
1: Here's the big question. Do you keep him instead of trading him now? You mean it's the perfect trade candidate 28 prime of his career contract year 13 million. So it's not a big deal, right? If you're Orlando, do you move him for assets? Because you do have young players that you can develop behind him. Or do you say, you know what? Uh, Now that we've got this new coach, look at how well this guy is playing. Like, we don't have a bunch of guys that we have money super committed to. Maybe we should keep him.
0: Yeah. What do you think? I feel exactly the same, especially if the money's right this summer. Um, I mean, honestly, I, (laughs) I think the Nikola Vucevic trade stuff has been a little bit overblown all season long because Orlando wants to make the playoffs. And not only that, what are you tanking for? This year is not the year to tank. It's Zion. not a good draft. Yeah, you're right. tanking for Zion, but it's the same thing you just said with Memphis. The best odds you'll get is that sixth spot, right? Right, right now, Orlando um, is one and a half games back from that, just like Memphis is. Um, and that would give you a 9% chance at the number one pick. So 9% at Zion or 37.2% chance at a top four pick. And you want to be in one of those top two spots unless there's another guy that you really, really are high on. But people I've talked to around the league, for the most part, man, people don't like this draft. It's not a good draft. It's just not. You have Zion Williamson, who is a really, really great prospect, and RJ, who's a really good one. Um, But beyond that, John Morantz, he wouldn't be a top three or four pick in any of the past two drafts. Cam Reddish still has potential, but he's fallen off. Other than that, bowl, man, bowl. The, the, yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot. So uh, if you're right. if you're Orlando, if the deal's right, if you're getting something that helps you in the future, great. Then you then you do the deal. But if you're moving Vucevic just a tank, it doesn't make any
1: sense to me. It, it it's interesting to me that you say that because you have so many of these teams that are like on the cusp in both conferences. Right? They're not that far off. One eight and two stretch. And everything changes for a majority of these teams within two weeks time. Everything changes if you can win eight out of 10 games. Now, for some of those teams, it's super far-fetched that that could happen. But, you know, on these whole teams that are in the middle, we know they're not going to win a title. We know they're probably not going to be in a Eastern or Western Conference Finals. They're going to, quote, make the playoffs and then have a middle-of-the-road pick that Maybe that forms the opinions of a majority of these teams, and so they become buyers or maybe tweakers, as it were, right? You try to tweak your roster to improve yourself a little bit and take a shot at making the playoffs because there's no there's no glory in becoming very bad and getting a very high pick this year well you you might not get a very high pick that may dry up the seller's market yeah what you may have is these awesome teams sitting around going you know what we need to like maybe the celtics make a big deal and and the lakers make a big deal because they sit there and they go listen we're gonna have a crack at the title now we got to do some tweaking and so that's actually it's not the teams that are going to lose excessively that are making the big deals, but rather the awesome teams that are making the big deals this year, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a buyer's market right now with not a lot of sellers. You know, you only have that, those bottom five teams that are outright, I'm going to have a chance at the top pick with Cleveland, Chicago, New York, Phoenix, and Atlanta. Other than that, even Washington and and with the sixth worst record, even them with Bradley Beal, just on the absolute just ferocious tear that he's on even washington i think still has hopes of pushing into the playoffs yeah um, well, i mean <laughs> for listen or outside for worse. of denver
1: outside of denver and golden state and maybe oklahoma city there's probably no fan base that doesn't think we need to make a deal seriously yeah like all of them Think that they need to. Make, I mean, Philly thinks they need to make a deal, and Boston, their fans think they need to make a deal. You, I mean, have a,
0: you have Spike Eskin from the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast writing an article yesterday about how the Sixers should trade Jimmy Butler, which, you know, talk to some people, they won't necessarily disagree with that. And Spike made a pretty strong case in that article. I think but the case like, was strong
1: because it was yeah. five years, 190 million to keep him. Well, it's
0: it's going to be the same conversation with Charlotte and Kemba Walker, right. which I think, right. based off everybody I've talked to, everybody around the league thinks Charlotte will keep Kemba Walker. Michael Jordan loves Kemba Walker. The Charlotte Hornets are one of those teams that are happy just making the playoffs, and, you know, and you know going to the second round and flaming out. They're just happy doing that. Which, well, is, and
1: holy moly, if that kid makes All NBA, you got a real decision to
0: mm-hmm, make. Exactly, and and, and that's why. With Kemba, I would doubt there would be a trade. However, um, he would be a guy that if I'm, I don't know, if you're a team that's on the bubble and you need to make a big move, Kemba Walker's a guy to at least try to make a call for. I wouldn't want to give him that money
1: though, and I don't think you would either, Chris. I mean, yeah, that's we're talking over a two hundred million dollar contract, right? I know the cap's going up, but still, he makes an All NBA team, and that contract just becomes radically different. We talked about Orlando. And their possibility, another team that would be an eight and two stretch from changing everything is the Dallas Mavericks, who are twenty and twenty three as of right now they've lost their last two games, but as it stands, they are four games out of that eighth seed. They are also just a few games out you know or their one game from being the thirteen seed as of right now. As first reported by my own Kevin Obama, Dennis Smith Jr. could be on the move and that the Mavericks would be exploring deals for him. Uh, That report advanced by Adrian Wojnowski and ESPN talking about the Phoenix Suns and also the Orlando Magic as possible destinations. So first things first, why is Dennis Smith Jr.? um, I get... Luca and what's happened with Luca and Luca having the ball. Why do you think that they are interested in moving off a guy that less than a year ago they took with the top ten pick, or a year ago they took with the top ten pick? And which of those two probable or possible destinations do you think Smith would be a better fit?
0: Yeah, I think Orlando's a better fit, Chris. Uh, but I have heard last night I had heard that it won't be Orlando. We'll see if that changes, uh, but I had a source tell me that it's just not—it's not, not going to be Orlando for Dennis Smith. And then last night, John Gambardo from Arizona Sports, ninety-eight-seven in Phoenix, who you know always gets a lot of sun scoops, said the Suns have no interest in Dennis Smith. I'm not sure about no interest. They—they they have had conversations, but it's also possible that there's just nothing there. Uh, Mitch Lawrence reported that the Pistons have had conversations with Dennis Smith, so that's something to monitor as well. If I'm Dallas, personally, I would call about Kemba Walker just to see what's there. I don't think anything would happen, but it's worth taking a look with the Charlotte. Hey, Hornets. hey you
1: know what? He played at NC State, so he'd be yeah. In, yeah.
0: intensely familiar yeah. with. Right? Yeah, I, I think if you know if it's from Charlotte's perspective, if there's any deal that you can make taking a PR hit which would undoubtedly come if you're trading Kemba weeks before the all-star game is in Charlotte, <laughs> uh, oh, getting God. Dennis Smith back is about one of the only players that would make it worth it, especially if you're dumping Nick Batum in the deal as well. That's about the only type of deal that I think that could, they can make without fans just raging in Charlotte.
1: Okay. Why do they want to get rid of Dennis Smith?
0: I think it's really about maximizing the asset. Right now, he's a 21-year-old point guard, Chris, that, like you said, just in 2017, was drafted ninth in the draft. Who, ha- you know, I'm not a big fan of his game, but he's at least flashed potential, especially as a high pick-and-roll scorer. I think it's about maximizing him instead of his value f- further depreciating as Luka just blossoms into a star. And not to mention Luka, but Jalen Brunson, their young rookie point guard they drafted from Villanova in the second round. He's been steadily getting better over the course of the season as well. So even though Berea got hurt, Luca just is demanding more of the ball because he's so damn good. And then Brunson, I think, at the second round pick, is worthy of getting opportunity coming off the bench yeah. as well. So it's about well, just this, it's about exchanging an asset and getting something else back that helps you. Yeah,
1: I mean that you know the story goes that Carlisle and him are butted heads, which is unsurprising. That I mean Carlisle and point guards, right outside of like a forty year old. Jason Kidd, we've heard that about literally every point guard that they've had.
0: Well, um, especially a guy like Dennis Smith who, oh, let's yeah. just let's just be real, you know, in college he's not the best decision maker. And that has manifested in the NBA too. He's not Carlisle's type. Right. He'd swipe
1: left on Tinder. <laughs> on NBA Tinder. The most important about that is the whole maxing out Luka. Doncic and Smith Average 100.9 points per 100 possessions this season. Doncic and Brunson average a tick under 107 points, while Doncic and Berea were at 113 per 100 possessions. So it's pretty obvious just in terms of what they've got on that roster this year. The backcourt of Doncic and Smith has been intensely less effective than Doncic and Brunson or Doncic and Barea, who obviously is out now with the Achilles thing. So there's some times where it can just be addition by subtraction. The fact that you're getting more minutes of Doncic with a different pairing, because though it is only 687 minutes, I mean, it's come to the worst of the results of the backcourt pairings with Luka. So it doesn't work that well.
0: Yeah, I don't love the fit with Dennis Smith and you're know, just just playing you know, thought experiment here Chris I don't think a Kemba thing would happen but if it were I'm curious how would you feel about that fit with Luka Doncic and Kemba Walker
1: or a player like that because personally I like that fit I don't I, do. I don't, don't because I think okay. they're I think to maximize Luka is to have the ball in his hands and I do not believe that you're so gonna you want maxim- him to play
0: like James Harden then
1: no, I just don't think you're going to maximize Kemba unless the ball is in his hands. So... I don't know. I I I think both those guys are, can, are really good off-ball. Oh, Kemba's not a make-everybody-better guy. You know that. Doncic is.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. I think with Kemba... Yes, he wouldn't have the ball in his hands as much as he does in Charlotte, and that's kind of the point. Then you can maximize him as an off-ball shooter, as a cutter with Luka Doncic as well. You can use him as a screener. You can use him as a cutter. Like there's so many ways to get creative with both those guys. Like Luka Doncic, he Luka Luka's going to be a superstar. But you need more than one star to win a championship. I get it, but I would.
1: I, but the contract that Kemba's going to get is going to be extraordinary. I know. I know yeah. That's your answer? That's the star yep. you want next to Luca. is spending $40 million on Kemba? No way. Yeah,
0: I know. And, and that's ultimately the issue here is the money, right? If you're paying yeah. Kemba Walker that much money, I don't know. But I will say this, though, Chris, looking at their books this offseason, if they were to pay Kemba, they could still create a lot of money either this summer or the following summer if they wanted to, to add another guy depending on what the deal looks like, if they're getting a salary back and whatever else, it's really hard to say. And we're just speaking hypothetically here, yeah. but theoretically they could have, you know, a, now, still Luca makes you a move. lot.
1: Luca certainly makes you a lot more attractive than anything they've had in a long, long time. Simply be like, and I'm talking a tear up from Harrison Barnes and Deandre Jordan and Wes Matthews. Like those are the level of free agents that they've gotten over the course of the last several years, I do think Luka is a severe enough talent that people would want to go and be a part of that. They also have a culture of winning in Dallas. They do. They've had the one down year, but I mean, they have a culture of winning at that organization, which I do think is incredibly helpful in terms of players usually join winning teams. What they do not do in free agency is join losing teams. Speaking of two winning teams, tonight you are going to see the teams with the two best records in the Western Conference. We will make that our NBA watch of the night, and I will keep my eyes peeled for one Kevin O'Connor on Media Row because <laughs> you are going to be at Denver versus Golden State And this is going to be available on League Pass, so anybody can flip on League Pass and not only see the teams with the two best records in the Western Conference, but also possibly get a glimpse of Kevin O'Connor. And remember, (laughs) if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com, Amazon, or your local cable or satellite provider. You are recording with me today in Denver, Colorado. As I mentioned, you're going to be in attendance of this NBA Watch of the Night game that we just mentioned. I am very excited to watch this. Uh, Denver has been a big surprise this year, and so now we get to see them against Golden State, and weirdly, this could actually decide something interesting, which is who represents the Western Conference in the All-Star Game from a coaching standpoint. Is it Steve Kerr and his staff that will have the best record in the Western Conference, or is it the Denver Nuggets, Mike Malone, and his staff that would be representing the Western Conference uh, in the All-Star Game? It might actually come down to this game.
0: It, it absolutely could. And for Michael Malone and his coaching staff in Denver, it's an opportunity to to mingle with some All-Stars, do some recruiting, make some connections for down the line when guys become available in trades or free agency. So it's, it matters in that sense for Denver get, to get an opportunity to have their coaching staff be at the All-Star game. But even besides that, Chris, like this is going to be a heck of a game too. One and two in the Western Conference with the way Denver's playing. Granted, they're in the middle of a stretch with I think five games and seven nights. So there's a little bit of fatigue playing a role for them. But I'm excited to see Nikola Jokic, who had a really strong game against Golden State earlier this season when, when Denver beat uh, Golden State their first time around. Jokic just continues to, to be on a tear, man. He is having an MVP
1: caliber season in a, in a, in a year loaded with MVP candidates. Uh, let me see here. I want to pull up what Vegas has got on this. Who do you think's favored? it got to be Golden State, right? Golden State by one. Oh, Oh, wow. A so pick'em. we're like right at, you know what I mean? And a couple of the places have it as a pick 75% of the bets so far on Golden State. That's dangerous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that means, that means, that means you should probably take Denver in this game. Honestly. 75% um, for
0: Golden State. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 75% of the bets so far, uh, according to Sports Insights, for what it's worth. But anyway, yeah.
0: One of the reasons why that line is probably so close is the Nuggets are 18 and three at home this season. They've been outstanding at their home court.
1: Oh, for sure. Wow. Well, you are going to see a great one, and we will certainly keep our eyes peeled for you uh, in the crowd. Maybe I can catch a <laughs> glimpse of the great Kevin oh, O'Connor boy. at the uh, game. Don't,
0: don't look for me.
1: <laughs> are you right? Are you right? I, I, I suppose you're there because you're going to be writing about the Nuggets. Is that true? Yeah. Yep. Nice. All right. Enjoy Denver, Kevin. Enjoy the game tonight, and I will talk to you next week. Looking
0: forward to it, Chris. Have a good one.
1: Thanks to everybody for listening to another edition of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you next week.